0: Thanks for tuning in, we're Ace Comicals, I have with me my co-host Rahul Jani and Leon Everett, I'm Greg Driver, let's get started! Hello everyone, it's January, it's winter, it's cold, but don't be sad because there's still comics. Yes, we're here to warm you up like a fire in an oil drum. So gather round and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 27. We've had our 2017 retrospective, so it's time to stop looking backwards and let's dive right into our new reads in 2018 with our usual suspects, Leon and Rahul. Hey, Greg. Good evening. Yeah. Hi, guys. Good evening. So straight in with X-Men Grand Designs number two. Um, so we talked about this in our retrospective episode. And we basically turned that into a kind of a review because it sort of went on a little bit, didn't it? Yeah,
1: we couldn't stop gushing about it because it is just that good. Um, but now Leon's caught up, right?
0: Well, I, I've read
2: the first. I haven't got around to reading the second yet. but uh, I, I'm deep in and going to read that in a bit.
0: Yeah, so I'm, I've, I've read the second one now. So I'm ready to talk about number two a little bit. And carry on talking about the same kinds of things basically that we were talking about when we mentioned the first issue because it is such a great great comic series and such a feat as well to condense so much information into such a short space comics wise
1: i think and not just yeah, in a short space, but like in a really economic way, where all yeah. the information comes across in really in like new and clever and interesting deliveries. And I think that's the thing I really liked about it.
0: Do you, do you think we we can we can sort of talk about the plot device and how he's managed to do
1: that yet? Actually, yeah, that's one of the things that I wanted to elaborate on because I don't know if we talked about it that much in the previous episode. But I like that it's the framing device is about one of these watchers being chased for like an overdue summary of Earth's mutants. And then he succinctly states that what he's learned over several millennia is that it's necessary for events to unfold and settle before transcribing what he witnessed. I think that's nice. Like it, you know, you can't just, you can't just uh, rattle it off, off the cuff as it's happening. You have to sit and watch for, you know, for a couple of thousand years and then tell, <laughs> tell everybody what's going on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and it's useful to have like a comprehension of uh, how the story ends uh, to be able to get a good idea on like the overview on how the beginning and the middle ties into it. So I-, I can see his methodology.
0: Yeah, I mean, this again, as you can imagine, with issue two, it continues in the same vein as number one. Um, I think this is a great way actually to introduce somebody to X-Men comics. And it is a fantastic, a fantastic retrospective. Uh, if I can get my words out, <laughs> um, it, it covers different creators, different costume designs, different key events in the X-Men timeline. And like for old fans, there's, there's something there for old fans as well as there being something there for new people. Like if you're just introducing someone to X-Men, say they've just watched a couple of the movies and you're like, Oh dude, you know, Instead of just like throwing different trades at them and saying, Oh, you need to read this one Oh, you need to read this one because this has this happening and whatever else and, and this conf throwing this confusion at them, you have now got a nice way to sort of prime people. Hmm. I quite like.
1: And one of the things that I admire about this book is that it picks up on things that haven't really been well expressed by I don't know so much about the latest comics because I haven't read many of them, but certainly the films. So Little touches like uh, Xavier's personality, um, mm. which we do get a bit more of in the uh, like new class and uh, Days of Future Past and whatever. But we yep. get an Xavier who's like globally altruistic but personally quite selfish. Mm. And I've not really read that side of him before.
0: Yeah, no, it's... um. It's very unique in in the way that it kind of brings that out and it's like um, as well as being a, a, an overview of the timeline and an overview of the various arcs and stories and everything else it's actually an overview of the way the characters develop as well and it does that very well which I think is what you're trying to get out there with the Xavier stuff hmm like we we actually get like an overview of the way these characters change as the stories go along and it's not just cyclops did this and then he went there and did that and then this happened and that gave way to this it's actually like the evolution of their personalities as well
2: yeah <clears throat> yeah definitely um i find that like you uh rahul you're saying it's very uh, economical and it, it jumps from uh Event and time period to event and time period in a really quick, um, quick way that doesn't really feel like you're missing too much. It's like a really good sort of documentary montage type thing of the the touchstones or the the big turning points um, in a lot of these characters' lives, and I, I think that. It is a Herculean task that uh, Ed Pisk managed to do with this. I'm starting to think he's a mutant in the way that he's like this near encyclopedia level knowledge of all these different arcs and runs and just molding it into this like ultimate retcon in a way where it touches on a lot of classic storylines, but also streamlines a bunch and like pushes certain things together and uses other things in, in place of others where it's more of a straight line and through point. So, yeah, it's, it's very um, interesting and um, compelling take on mutant history. And it's, um, it boggles my mind how, how well it works, really, because it could just... Like come off flat, like um, the the throwback art style, color usage, and panel compositions don't just feel like a cheap gimmick or throwback, which is um, things that you guys touched on in uh, the last um, episode. But I, f- I feel like all of it serves the narrative, like the form and the function and. It feels like it's nostalgic but not soulless in a similar way to uh, last year's game Cuphead, which has the uh, style of like old uh, Flesher cartoons. And with that, it could could just be this cheap, hey, look, we've got this like cool uh, old timey art design. But actually, it really feels like it feeds into uh, the general point of the whole uh, work. So, I do quite like that.
0: It's a great feat to summarize everything so clearly and concisely without losing too much detail. And the artwork it's the way that he manages to capture the different aesthetics as the comics move along and, and through the different, the different timelines and things like that, the way he manages to capture the different, um, the different character designs and the, the changes in creative teams as, as he moves through the timeline. And it, it it get you know in keeping with this um, this retro style that still feels very fresh and very new, very bold and very colourful, very vibrant colours, very clean and graphic looking, which I really like about it. Yeah, one hundred percent. He's doing a great thing here, is Ed Piska. Um It is all Ed Pisker, by the way. It's a one man band. This thing. So yeah, there you go.
2: Well, I guess it's it's like a one man band who's um, he's doing like a a big triple album of like greatest hits of like a cover cover album type thing. Mm. But, uh, yeah, what, what he, what he's managing to do is, in, is just obscene. I'm not sure how he's getting it all done. I did have like, just some extra notes on like the, uh, the first issue mm. as I had not read it last episode. I, yeah. I think the, yeah. um, the additional reading list at the end by Darren Jensen and, uh, Jeff York it is really cool like it's nice concise EndNote style reference list which I, I don't know I, I found it to be quite useful because I always find in a lot of these comics you'd get like editor's note back in issue 42 da, 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 and it's like it's eh, yeah. not really helpful but I like that something as wide span uh, covering as this it's nice to have all these touch points and be like yeah in 1943 in this issue this was covered and it's like oh uh, so it it feeds more into the history which i quite enjoyed
1: yeah it feels a little like a technical document in that way i like how every single page is broken down to what reference is taken and from where i like as someone who again has never read any of these old ones to know that he has actually dived in and has these citations that's that's well impressive
0: it's impressive yeah because it means he must have read all of it and that is impressive. So, <laughs> yeah, there we go.
2: Uh, just uh, before we move on, I've got one more thing to say, though. Yep. And bear in mind, I've not read issue two yet, but um, something might be touched on there. But um, I guess it's more of a general question that I'm not sure if I want answered. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I thought that one possible issue with the framing, and this happens right at the beginning, so it's not really a spoiler, um, I hope, anyway. But I don't think so, because it's something that's happened in in comic uh, book lore on this, and it's just been fed into this as a, an inciting incident in a way. But like, I'm in two minds about the Namor New York incident being mm. the focal point for like modern mutant hatred, because on one hand it works in sort of a 9-11 lens where a terrorist attack on New York City leads to demonization of a group for generations. And I understand that. And it also feeds a good function in explaining why people fear and hate Magneto and uh, Professor X and Wolverine and Cyclops, but don't fear and hate Spider-Man and uh, the Human Torch. Like it, it, does feed it, it. Fully delineates between freaks and superheroes, but on the other hand, it eats. I find I feel like a bit of it eats away at the central metaphor of like mutants as a persecuted, uh, persecuted, uh, persecuted other, because it gives this like original sin. So mm-hmm. whereas like in gen in other tellings of this story, um, whether they whichever medium they've been in, it has been framed as a like uh, a battle for civil rights and mm. people hating these people because they're freaks, yeah. and not because uh, way back when one of them committed a big terrorist attack. So I understand what he's trying to do, but I I'll, I need to see further on how that's fed in terms of when they hit more modern stories how the central prejudice against them is handled because if it like i think it's it's interesting to do it that way the 911 way but i feel like in some ways it could limit and reduce the story to like to like, oh, they've got they've got a bigoted reason, but it's still a reason. Instead of the whole, we hate we fear what we don't understand thing, which is, I guess, historically was something that I, I picked up a lot on with uh, X Men comics. Uh, that's not it's not really a knock, but it's uh, it's uh, amusing that I've I've had with that mm. particular story arc.
1: I do yeah I can sympathize with that because I had similar feelings when reading it that it's it doesn't I was expecting it to be an exhaustive retrospective and like an encyclopedic collection of all the stories but it's not because like you said it frames it in this very specific way with Namor being the inciting incident and so in that way it's not an exhaustive compendium of all of the stories it's a, a retcon for today's like a post 2000 uh type mentality so it's in that way it's going to be very of our current time and it's not going to track forward I think which I sort of expressed in the past episode but yeah you touch you touch on that and it's
0: it's something that I didn't sit that comfortably with me either yeah I do I do see that actually I can see that I can see that is it like the very modern framing of it and everything else well, because it's it's anachronistic. There's like an anachronistic dissonance with the art style,
1: but then the the plot framing that it has. And again, like Leon said, it's not really a knock against it. It's just it's just something to think about. I think. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Right. Um. So we're gonna move on to the second one now. Um. Which is something that I read, and I, well, I don't know if you guys are following this. I know Leon got the first issue because it came with an an IDW bundle way back when. Um, it is Diablo House number three, which I've been waiting for, and it's finally here. And I'm glad it's finally here because I, I have been waiting a long time for this. It's like an anthology-style sto- style book, and it's each book is an individual story surrounding a house which has the power to grant wishes, but it grants wishes in return for your soul, basically, is the whole gist of it. And it's kind of a... Um, kind of a, a Tales from the Crypt style format where you get an introduction to the story from the the sort of keeper of the crypt or in this case the surfer dude that is tasked with keeping the house and uh, with this one we are given a tale that takes place across um, I'm guessing two decades, the 40s and the 50s, maybe even into the early 60s and it's about the San Diego racing scene the gist of it is that the guy's dad like like racing's in his blood and his father dies on the racetrack and he becomes a driver as well he becomes a racer because racing's in his blood um and in the end he ends up t- he ends up visiting the house i'm not going to say particularly why and i'm not going to say how this all pans out but it's very um very cyclical, very history repeating itself. Very cool in that respect. And also very cruel, very cruel in the way that the house deals with him in the end. Um, the, the artwork with this book is it's always, always very exquisite artwork. Like it, it's just beautiful detail. And it's like, there's this beautiful warpness about it as well. Like the character the character, the characters in it, they're like, that it's like realism but then like hyper sort of carica realism with like incredible detail and incredible attention to detail as well in the way that some of the um the backgrounds are drawn and and the like down to things like vehicles and stuff like that and just I can understand why it takes so long to put one of these books out and why they're prob- why there is such a delay between issues because they're so pu- they're so beautifully crafted and it's just something very beautiful in the weirdness of it and i, I love i always I, I love this book and there's also a bonus tale in this one which uh you brought me onto this because you guys mentioned the flasher style when you you sort of like mentioned cuphead previously when you were talking about x-men but um the bonus style in this is kind of like a punk rock flasher style thing uh, okay. It's like a bonus strip at the back of the book and um, it's like a fishing story, a very Diablo house fishing story where a guy wants to catch the biggest fish, catch a bigger fish than another dude who works in the same office as him or whatever, you know, like these these big like cigar smoking execs that go on fishing trips and whatever and it's like it borrows from the flecia style and it handles things in a very diablo house way so he wants to catch the fish and obviously something awful is going to happen involving a fish and him but yeah no it's 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 pretty cool in that respect and i i I do love this book it's like a love letter to the old kind of um anthology style weird tales books that you probably used to get from marvel and whatever else back in the day when they still used to publish these things quite frequently and they kind of fell out of kind of fell out of favour a little, didn't they? Because you, don't, you didn't see a lot of them for a while. But I think they're starting to make a comeback, these anthology-style stories.
2: So. No, I, I, see, I, I, even though I've got my pristine, lovely uh, pre-order copy, I never got around to starting it. And then um, as I was going to, I remember you mentioning delays, and I thought, oh, I'll wait until I've got a chunk. But um, no, it, it does seem like it's... Using this anthology style, it's a good way to cover a lot of themes and topics, and mm. uh, sort of t- tie tie them together with a a general sort of macabre uh, grander theme, which I think is quite cool. Yeah, um, like you're saying, yeah, I think what maybe one of the reasons why that trend's picking up is that um a lot of writers um and art teams are thinking um a sort of board maybe with the prevailing or maybe premier way of like how a lot of comic book stories are told and they're wanting to reach further and um try and do things a bit differently and uh Try and use the medium in a more um, a more open, uh, expansive way. So I I, I can see why um, that would be happening. Especially I don't know, like in recent times, where it just feels like more people are engaged in trying to uh, explore ideas or get messages across as they um, um, they deal with a lot of the more recent sort of general realities and like, it feels just like, like we've been noted in on past episodes with the increase of like horror books, like just in the, in the Western hemisphere, there's a very unease going across um that in general, the West has not had to deal with for, for quite a while and it's growing and growing and growing and, and, there's a general uh, unease and feeling of uh, uncertainty. So uh, historically uh, those times have led to a lot of good fiction or more so fiction that is able to encapsulate various different viewpoints, um, but during different eras. So... Like like I mentioned before, like horror generally, you can uh, you can usually tell it what what the decade's biggest worry was by the the types of horror movies that were coming out, and I think uh, having horror and the anthology story gives you this nice sort of Twilight Zone tells of the Crypt Keeper um, uh, Out Limits uh, yeah. way to uh, dive into like a world or like a little Mm -hmm. setting without having to like commit or invest in like these uh, characters that you're going to read uh for like multiple arcs or anything so yeah i think we're just going to see more and more of these um, because they're nice you get to do like like lots of one shots um almost and it's a good way to cover a lot of themes and i love a lot of different um story types so i'm looking forward to get um getting started on it
0: no yeah, you, I mean I know you have trouble waiting for stuff which is why you don't like to buy monthlies but um if you um uh, this is this is one of those books where I like that I'm having to I'm made to wait for it because it keeps me kind of like you know hungry for it kind of thing because it's such a good book and I just every time you know I like savor it when one, when I get one I savor it and I've had 3 since it started which was like last year last spring wasn't it
2: yeah i feel like that um that delivery pattern um uh, by design or by accident gives it an extra sort of prestige where it doesn't it's not like you're reading a monthly really That's, it's more yeah. seasonal it's like um like episodic games like in recent times the telltale games or like the the um, 2016's hitman series it's like um it leaves. It sounds like it's leaving you waiting just enough time, and then boom, here's your gift. And that's it's it's quite um,
0: it's been it's been quarterly.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it's cool that it can do that because what it <laughs> yeah. what it's doing as well is that you're sort of moving, or like other readers are sort of moving from season to season, and instead of being this touchstone of like, oh, I guess it's March, I guess it's April, now it's guess um, a case of uh, it's autumn, and now it's winter, and your mood is going to be changing. Um, yeah. And it, it might be altering how you yeah. perceive some of the stories in weird and interesting ways.
0: So, yeah, I mean, in conclusion, I guess with Diablo House, it's it just I was just going to build on what Leon was saying in the fact that it is a, um, a it, it feels special. It has that prestige and, and it feels special. Yeah, because it's courtly and it's something for me to look forward to. And when I read it, I savour it. I don't rush this book at all. I mean i don't rush any book but i especially do not rush diablo house because diablo house is is special it's like it's like a fine fine whiskey the um the yeah it's just it's total love letter to those old anthology books those old anthology horror stories like um the kind of weird tales thing the kind of um as i'm flicking through it now i'm just the house of secrets style thing uh and it's just it's always gorgeous it's always brilliant i need to mention that um diablo house The team behind this is uh, Ted Adams uh, is the author. Uh, Santa Perez is the artist and cover artist. And um, also with um, this issue, you've got um, Sean Dickinson and this is with issue three. Sorry. You've got uh, Robbie Robbins as well, who wrote the bonus strip. Sean Dickinson did the art for the bonus strip, and he also did a very cool looking uh, alt cover for the book as well just wanted to just wanted to just shoehorn that in before we went too far ahead i'm done gushing now so i guess i'm gonna hand over to ray because i think ray was bursting to say something about something
1: well yeah because in reaction to some of the things that you guys have been saying about diablo house not the same content as your story here but like we've talking about cyclical stories and um it brings to mind these like paranoid tales that we've been reading lately because i I feel like Leon has been looking over my shoulder or he's installed some cameras in my house or something because he took the words off my notebook and said them aloud from his side. Because we're talking about um, the unease and uncertainty leading to fiction that encapsulates different viewpoints. One of the books that I read uh, from this last week, Days of Hate, is basically that. So um, we did speak previously about how the state of the world will be fertile ground for horror and nihilistic reactionary works. Days of Hate is one of those works. Um, the blurb on Image Comics website is The United States of America 2022. The loss that ripped them apart drove one into the arms of the police state and the other towards a guerrilla war against the white supremacy. Now they meet again. This is a story of a war. So the issue title page is called Chapter One America First. And it's accompanied by a massively bigoted quote from Steve Bannon and the lyrics from a song called Could Have Moved Mountains by a band called A Silver Mount Zion. Um, the lyrics aren't given in their entirety on that page. The missing verse includes the words, half of us are faking and the other half are tired and scared. Hmm. So this book, story by Alice Cott, which I believe is one of your recent favorites. Is that right, Greg? Uh, yes, Alice Cott. He's the man responsible for Generation Gone. That's the one. Um, Art by Danielle Zizelj, I believe. Uh, Colors by Jordi Belair. And covers by Danielle Zizelj and Tom Muller. So that that title page leads into the first page where one of our heroes, Amanda, uh, looks back on the year 2016, the year that the internet called a trash fire, and insinuates that things have only gotten worse to the point that people don't even hate on 2022. We're catatonic. She says this while staring at a giant swastika painted on the walls of a charred building where an underground party full of queer people had the doors bolted and set alight. It sets in motion a revenge plot where her and her um, her unnamed associate plan to strike back at the most likely culprit of the, the fire, uh, a white supremacist group. And meanwhile, we're also introduced to Huan Xing, um, A lady being interrogated by an investigator for the matters of domestic terrorism which is just a euphemism for uh, like police state I guess Um, and interrogates her about her relation to Amanda who he deems to be radicalized by the left so it's interesting book it paints an interesting picture of the extent of the hatred on both sides Both sides. Um, The white supremacist crowd, as overtly disgusting as you'd expect, but Amanda's rationalization of her actions are also pretty questionable. She says, we have to do better, otherwise the world we're fighting for won't be that much different from theirs. And she says this while preparing to enact a bombing on this white supremacist group. Um, The art style, interesting, in that it doesn't really portray a dystopian world. It's um, like the skies when we see them are clear and clean. It's got a really brushstroke aesthetic, lots of fuzzy, fuzzy bleeding shading like dappled onto people's faces and building interiors. And it's never quite clear if everything's dingy and dirty or if it's just that everything's shrouded in darkness. Um, there's really pretty nighttime cityscape shots uh, where we see the lights from the buildings and cars glare like it's an 80s movie. It reminded me a lot of the the aesthetic from that film Drive with, like, lots of striking neon lighting and all of that. I mean, in conclusion, it does feel very much like this reactionary type of work we've just been discussing, and I really think that you guys will will vibe with it. And um, I'm not really sure – it seems to be very middle of the road. I don't know quite 100% what it's trying to say about the characters on both sides of this war – But I'm really keen to see where it's going to go and what kind of message it wants to tell. So yeah, that's uh, that's
0: Days of Hate number one came out last week. I very almost bought this and I was waiting to hear what you said about it first. Oh mate, I think you dig it. Like I think what was the other
1: one? We there was a very similar in Um, concept. uh, The United States
0: of Oh, what was oh, that? The, oh, the United States of Hysteria. That's the one. Or the divide was it the divided states of hysteria. Divided
1: states of hysteria. It feels yeah. like that in terms of message, but very different in terms of tone. And I think it's is not it... it's yeah. not nearly as like um yeah. I think divided states of hysteria was a lot more laughing and pointing at how shitty the world has become, whereas this is a lot more of a somber take on that same thing about how we're all tearing each other apart and like picking sides and not really listening to each other
0: and so this just Mm. did the same job better basically i feel so i think so yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. i think i'm probably have to go and buy it now because what you've said it makes it sound really really good and also it's one of my sort of like recent favorite writers as well so i think i think i'm definitely have to go and grab that it's also
1: one of those books where i think you guys might have a better perspective on the politics than I do, and I'd be really keen to hear how you feel about the way this story is being told. Because I'd like to hear your guys' viewpoints on that. Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think uh, we'll, we'll uh, I'll, I'll give that a read, and um, hopefully I'll have something to say about it next time. Oh, good. Definitely um... so- sounds like it
2: uh, swings for the fences. Like mm. uh, it seems like the <laughs> the allegory is. Uh, like just straight there, <laughs> it's, it's like this is what we're talking about. We're not using mutants. We're not using this thing. Blah blah blah. We're gonna straight up quote Steve Bannon.
1: Yep, I mean it's <laughs> it's right there on the front cover. It's um, it's like black and red, and you see two hands going into handshake, but it's surrounded by. Uh, like barbed wire. Barbed wire it? It's yeah, yeah it's as on the. It, I don't want to use the word on the nose because that's kind of derogatory. It's just it's very
0: overt. You got anything? Anything else that you read this week that the rest of us didn't, Ray?
1: Oh yeah, I did. I picked up something called *The Further Adventures of Nick Wilson*. So I picked this up um, basically on the merits of its slacker esque cover and the mountains of celebrity praise that are strewn all over the covers. Uh, the writer is Eddie Gorodetsky, who seems to be like a TV veteran, which shows like *Dharma and Craig, Two and a Half Men, and then stuff like SNL and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Much like this comic. It's it's not really bad per se. It's just not a very strong opener to a story. It's, it's an interesting concept. So it's um, about this guy called Nick Wilson, who's pretending to be the man that he used to be. Uh, He used to be a much-loved superhero who suddenly lost all his powers and now plays an impersonator of his alter ego to pay the bills. Um, First issue doesn't really go anywhere, apart from setting up an old flame who he reconnects with and a vaguely sinister enemy. Um, I hate to sound reductive, but it does feel like it's written by an old man, and I don't really have that much to say on it, but I'm not that taken with it. But just so you know, further adventures of Nick Wilson.
2: It's a shame, because from the cover, it like this cool sort of this stoner-type adventure-type thing. Like, it could have been, like, um, The Big Lebowski or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it has its charms. Like, the, the main character is charming, and he it's, it's refreshing in that he's not that much of an asshole. He's just a slacker who doesn't really know what to do with himself now that he's lost that power. And he's got this kind of skeevy agent who's trying to get him um, gigs at, like, children's parties where they all think he's... Pretending to be the guy he really is, but nobody kind of recognizes him. It's it's really odd, and I just feel like it's really muddled. Like it cuts between different scenes for no reason. I I feel like the writers were trying to make dramatic cuts from his conversations with that old flame to that sinister enemy, and then flashes back. But it it's not. It doesn't tie into each other. It could have easily just been two separate things that didn't cross-cut. But it's yeah, it left me more confused and flat than yeah. anything else. It's just interesting because it had so many uh, celebrity quotes on it. It had like Penn Gillette and um, Sarah Silverman and such and such. And I get the feeling that it wasn't really based on genuine praise, but more just that he has these connections and they're friends maybe or whatever. I don't know. It just felt a bit off.
0: I did, I did pick it up and flick flip through it um, when I went into the comic store, but I just... I decided against it in the end and just put it down and I think I did the right thing. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so moving on from there there's something that left me very flat, and very disappointed because I was looking forward to reading this and I blame you, Ray. Hey. Why? What did I do? <laughs> You tricked me into buying under. That's what you did. Oh,
1: under. All I yeah. listen. All I did was I found a cool cover of like black and white artwork of a giant spider ripping the head off some dude in a sewer, and I thought, hey, Greg would like this. And then you went off on a tangent about how much you like because it's written, it's drawn
0: by. Uh, Stokoe? who is that? Um, James Stokoe? Yeah, James Stokoe draws the uh, the co- drew the covers for issues one and two. And then you you immediately ran with it
1: and went out and bought all of the cover all of the issues up to to now, um, without like doing any of your proofreading or checking to see whether the contents would actually suit you. And
0: now you're blaming me. <laughs> Look, all right, it's a book about giant monsters in the sewer. All right. I I.
1: I mean, I thought I was doing you a service by bringing it to your attention, but, you know, you yeah, can is, I throw thought, it back thought, in my just, face if you
0: like. <laughs> I thought I was doing myself a service by buying it, because, like, <laughs> I've I've had this this kind of thing, like, it's a kind of like a little a little side project of mine that's been brewing for a long, long time, but um, I've I've been dreaming up and cooking up stories about giant monsters in sewers. So it's, it's a thing that I do that I like. Um, and... Um, I, I, well I, I never it's just something that i i've been doing like sometimes i just do it to pass the time it's just something that just rolls around in my head giant monsters in the sewer and i think about all these cool ways that people could fight giant monsters in sewers and it could be like super claustrophobic and super cool and and then I, I i find out there's a book about it so at first i'm like i'm kind of like oh man that's just my idea <laughs> and then i'm like let's this is going to be really cool you know this is this is like something that's like should be right up my alley because it's something that i daydream about on a regular basis (laughs) for want of a better way of putting it um so i i go out and i buy issue one and issue two and i find out there are only two issues of it it's like a um an over it's a two-parter made of two oversized comics i believe this book was originally published in 2010 and i believe it's a french comic um don't quote me on the original publish date this is just what i've managed to glean there's not a lot of information like like pre this new release basically um and it was like issue two i think that came out week just gone wasn't it part two i think so yeah uh yeah and and both the covers are absolutely, i mean like i can't fault the covers the covers are gorgeous my favorite artist james stocco or one of my favorite artists james stocco both both covers are amazing you've got um the cover for issue 1 which is the black and white one which is a spider eating a spider fighting a giant crocodile and a bunch of people in a dinghy caught in the crossfire in a sewer uh and then you've got issue 2 which is a giant spider tearing the head off a guy wearing kind of like police armor in a sewer Um, and I thought okay this is going to be really cool this is going to be really claustrophobic, this is going to be one of my daydreams brought to life, oh how wrong I was Um, so I mean it's frustrating actually because there's so many good ideas in this book like so many really good ideas it could have been like a really cool really awesome hell ride of a monster book but instead it just falls flat and the writing just falls flat and it just feels really shaky and a bit disjointed in places like it's jarring when it jumps from scene to scene and there's no real fleshing out of any of it it's just like someone's just like chucking a a bunch of ideas at the wall and none of it's really sticking i mean you've got this huge city this this huge fictional city that sits on this huge fictional sewer system that is like the jewel of the city because it's such a such a massive like mega megalopolis type thing that they've got to have like this this like custom built amazing sewage system to deal with it and in the sewer system so vast and so huge you've got these like parts of the sewer system that no one's been in for god knows how long and you've got people living down in this sewer system and they've got their own kind of like um communities down there and stuff and they're almost separate from the people that live on the surface and like what these people in the sewer do is they sift through the waste and find like things that are like worse stuff like if people drop wedding rings down the toilet and that kind of thing and and then like you've also got in the sewer you've got like um, sort of like uh, building on like the urban myth thing of like giant crocodiles living in the sewer or giant spiders living in the sewer and stuff is, is kind of what this is. And you've got these, these, these like monsters living down here. And we, we open with a, um, a, a young woman who's like, she's like a grad student or something. And uh, she's, um, she's studying, she's a cryptozoologist. So she's studying these myths about these giant beasts that live in the sewer. Um, but like, she's immediately kind of she's not like she could have been a su she could have been a really cool character but they don't really do anything with her she's immediately kind of just like pushed into the background and then you get this uh, this disgraced cop who now has to work as part of a security task force of sewer cops in inverted commas whose job it is to police the sewers because of the, the you know the populations that live down there and he's been sent down there because he messed up on the surface basically and let his partner die um, but like the, from the get go it's just it just mishandles like the only female protagonist in the book and it just mishandles her so badly from the get go it's just terrible like one of the first things that happens that has no bearing on the plot whatsoever, there's no reason for them to have done this, is she's getting changed and and she has to get changed into um, the sewer cop uniform to to go on the tour of the sewers kind of thing with them. Like one of the first sort sort of trips out that they do. And while she's getting changed, you've got a couple of janitors watching her in a security room with cameras at all different angles and stuff, like talking about how... They could sell the footage for, for, for like, you know, a bunch of dollars because it's premium stuff and the, you know, the, it would do really well on certain porn sites and stuff. And it's just like, so, so what, why did, what was the point of having that in the comic? You know, where, where does that go with the story? What, what, what purpose does that serve at all to have that in there? And then from there, you, there's like, there's, um, throughout the whole thing, there's, there's like two, different, like, um, attempted rape scenes that, again, like, they don't really feel like they make sense in the story. Like, they don't, they don't have a place. They just happen, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really have any bearing on the plot for me. Like, there's no reason for that to happen at all. And it just... It, so it
2: <laughs> feels gratuitous.
0: Yeah, it is... Well, it's not... It's not gr- in, in some ways. I wish it w- I wish it was more gratuitous where the monsters were concerned, and I wish it just it it didn't have to have that in it. It doesn't. I mean, I, I don't know if they were going for some kind of B movie vibe, and they felt they had to do that because this is what B movies used to do back when, or what. But they shouldn't. It just didn't feel like it. it just had any place in that book at all. And it, you know, I, I just think it, they completely mishandled the female protagonist and. And and I think they completely mishandled the whole idea that they had of giant monsters in the sewer because it could have been so cool. It could have been so cool. And it wasn't. It sounds it, it just... uh, sounds problematic. Yeah, it is. It yeah. just completely dis- it just disappointed me on so many levels. But the covers are pretty, <laughs> <laughs> so at least you'll have that, right? <laughs> at least we'll have the covers, yeah. No, I mean, I yeah, I really was disappointed with this book. I was I was almost like. When, when I, um I think I sent you a bunch of messages when I read it uh, over the weekend. <laughs> you did. I was like, I was incensed. Like the minute I finished reading it, I was like, what the hell was that? You know, it just, oh, it just disappointed me so much. So that was under. And uh, yeah, don't buy that one. <laughs> don't. You'll regret it. You will. Um, I guess moving on from there. Uh, there's only one place we can go, um, and that is to the star of the show, the star of the last new comic book day, which is something that we had on our looking forward to list. Oh yes, uh, yes, it was something something on our, our kind of like uh, when we when we gave out our list of things we were looking forward to for 2018, and this is Ice Cream Man published on Image Comics, um, and I was really impressed with this actually. So finishing on a positive note. Yeah, super impressed with this book. So we've got a story by a W. Maxwell Prince. Uh, The art and cover is by a Martin Morazzo and a Chris O'Hallahan. And we have a variant cover by Fraser Irving. Now, the cover that I have is the the sort of standard original cover. It's the the ice cream man, a bunch of kids looking up and smiling. He's holding an ice cream man in the air. It all looks very... Well, an ice cream in the air. He's not holding an ice cream man in the air, because that would be weird. Um, (laughs) It all looks very... um, very harmless and very. Uh...
2: That does not look harmless.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're seeing very different things here, Greg. <laughs>
0: well, no, he's that just holding an ice cream in the Okay, all right. Okay, maybe it looks creepy and and it, okay from a Pied Piper kind of way. I get what you mean. If you just glanced at it, it would look like it's a happy ice cream man
1: you, you uh, and his. And it... Yeah, yeah. But if you take if you, if you look at it for more than a couple of seconds, you'll notice that everyone's staring like glassy eyed at this this giant ice cream cone in the air. And yeah, everyone's just got like a strange expression on their face, int- completely entranced. Yeah, that's the word. And
0: then, and then, it, uh, and then it, it takes on a kind of a pied piper vibe, and it just gets a bit weird. Hmm. But at, f- f- at first glance, it looks harmless. Um, which is, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it does. That. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just so you live in this very Lovecraftian world where you can see Strange stuff and just be like, yeah, that's totally normal. <laughs> when I saw that cover, I was just like, man, this is creepy.
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. Up is down, down is up. <laughs> comics, that, comics about giant monsters in the sewer that should be amazing aren't.
1: Just... Comics about ice cream men are amazing, right?
0: <laughs> it is a topsy-turvy world we live in. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> so... The, the the I had like one line to describe this, and I don't know if you two will agree with me, but I wrote it down, so I'm going to read it out. Um, the one line that I came up with to describe this is: uh, "Are you afraid of suburbia?" Yeah, so that's that. That sounds about right. That rings bells. Yeah. So so I mean, if you ever watched "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Nickelodeon as a kid, I just for some reason when I was reading it, I just got "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Like in my head, in the back of my mind. I don't know why.
2: I get that. There's a very sort of after-school vibe.
0: Mm. Yeah. But then it's like, it's like, are you afraid of the dark for adults? I guess. Or well, the
1: aesthetic like, is very, um, are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Where it's like this benign childhood horror, but the yeah. actual content is pretty damn horrific.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's pretty, um, like the, the artwork is when you open the book, and you first start reading it it's um the artwork's pretty benign and pretty um i mean obviously it's it's great artwork and it does it does an amazing job with the the, the detail and everything else and it's um it's oh. innocuous i think is the way yeah. like, it sets off uh yeah.
1: without really like it doesn't belie its its horror underbelly
0: immediately yeah. like it takes its time getting there it's it's unassuming mm. and it's but then it's threatening when it needs to be it's like a um like a venomous butterfly (laughs) i guess do do those exist no i don't think they do which is which is why but but like you know something something so so beautiful and 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 harmless looking but actually a single bite would render you uh dead dead. yeah
1: (laughs) I feel like you're just taking concepts from this book right now, Greg.
0: I I love the way this opens. By the way, so the uh, the way the way the way the, the the open with this the the ice cream man pulling up, uh, you know the kid on his own. Oh, where's your parents, kid? Oh, you know, I'm a big boy. Buys an ice cream, chocolate, two scoops, goes on home, and and we're getting all this uh, all this um, sort of narration in boxes about about spiders. I know I know you don't like spiders Ray so I mean who does right <laughs> I I am indifferent to spiders spiders don't bother me but I just from an arachnophobe's point of view how did you find this I mean the spiders are
1: creepy just generally but I what I liked about this was that the spider wasn't really the villain of the piece um no <laughs> if anything I felt kind of bad for the spider um and like I don't want to give anything away really but yeah it revolves around this story about this kid and his spider and it being the most venomous spider in the world. Ain't that something? Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, if I can, okay, let me take over here. So I'm unsure where I wanted this story to go. So it's basically the, the setup for this is that it's going to be an anthology series, like the type we've just been discussing this episode. Um, And it seems like a cruel fate anthology story, So, for these types, I tend to prefer tales with like really heavy handed morals or Aesop's, like The Twilight Zone, or uh, Justice Porn, where an explicitly bad person meets an explicitly bad end, like Tales from the Crypt Keeper. I tend not to like the cruelty for cruelty's sake type thing. And so, this book, it appears to be more of an evil force festers in a quiet town and preys upon innocence, which doesn't immediately fall into like my favorite categories. but it's similar to stories like like Twin Peaks, which worked really well because the sinister overtones meshed with the, the activities of an unusual townspeople. But we don't really get that in this book. We're, we're introduced to this victim of the week, which is this kid you mentioned who goes out to buy an ice cream and it turns out he's being followed by this venomous spider. And we also follow the detectives who chase a lead on a mysterious cat killer, uh, which leads them to this kid's uh, house. But we don't really get a sense of the bigger story at play um we don't get an idea of like what the town has done to either deserve this monster or even spawn this monster the monster being this ice cream man um and the people who get killed in this issue aren't really given much characterization so we don't really have an idea if they were deserving of that fate but what we do get is this concept of the ice cream man as this like creepily polite possibly demonic entity who warns us that there's a flavor for everyone suffering and make no mistake everyone is suffering and that's enough to capture me for now and like as an opening chapter it sets its tone but if not its overall concept really 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 well and i'm crossing my fingers that it's going to develop a more fable-like approach to these stories to give me some some of this heavy-handed moral moralizing that i like from these kind of things
0: i mean what what i got from this it's like the the sort of bubbling the artwork does it well as well it's like the artwork and the story kind of work together to give you this kind of like the bubbling tar beneath the veneer if that makes sense like this bubbling sticky black evil tar beneath this perfect veneer of suburbia which i guess is a lot of i mean there's a few stories like this that we've read um the vision's a little bit like that isn't it i mean like you said this this is the kind of thing that's been uh
1: it has been bubbling up recently because of like, as a sign of the times and, and in reaction to the state of the world.
0: But again, it's something that you used to see in the like, sort of um, in films and stuff, you used to see this, or this kind of stuff in the early nineties, which is kind of like where Twin Peaks was, Mm. um, as you mentioned, and it's sort of making a comeback again. Um, So I mean, this for me is like the sweet spot between X-Files and Twin Peaks because it's got like the X-Files angle um, with the way that it's... Um, it's supernatural uh, it, it, in the X-Files way, but it's got the Twin Peaks angle with the suburbia thing and everything else that we've already mentioned. Um, it, um, I, I quite liked where it went and I enjoyed... You know, the, the, this this the kid thinks the spider the, the spider is harmless kind of thing. He's, he's been keeping the spider as a pet, um, but we know that the spider's only in the town. It's just oh, I mean, I'm going to spoil it if I carry on because I was going in the way, that was, <laughs> but I'm going to stop talking right there. But um, yeah, this ice cream man is this demonic force whose job it seems to be to dole out suffering and to dole out. Um, I don't know if he's keeping the balance in some way.
1: Well, that's what I mean. It's not very yeah. clear what his motivations are, but I guess, I guess we'll get to that. Then. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to that in later issues,
0: or hopefully, or maybe we won't. But I'm yeah. I'm hoping we will. Yeah, I, I think you you read this one as well, didn't you, Leon?
2: Yeah, well, something like in response to that, like it is an issue one, um, and I frequently have this issue with issue ones that you guys generally don't have. Um, where I think, like, it's super slight. It's like um, it's like a paragraph instead of, like, a chapter type of thing. Mm. Um, but I can see, like, mood-wise, it's setting an interesting mood, and I don't think we'll get any, like, I think we're going to slowly get a bit more lore and a bit more texture of the world uh, issue by issue. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's a stimulating start, and I'll definitely be reading issue two. There's a, there's a lot of things that I, that I think it does right. Uh, I really like the colour palette, this sort of almost pastel blues and greens and fuges, and it has this real, like, hazy suburban afternoon feel, which I quite I like. Mm-hmm.
0: Like This is the uh, after-school thing, and the, in the yeah. like, are you afraid of the dark thing, because it's like the sun's setting, kids are out buying ice cream and then going home, you know?
2: Yeah, and, like... You can, I don't know. You can sort of feel uh, the atmosphere, like um, like things just don't feel. Things are just out out of whack a bit. Um, I like the the use of narration. Um, it 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 gives it a very cool sort of. Um, I can be saying earlier, like tales from the crypt uh, vibe, but yeah, like. There doesn't seem to be any, as Rahul's saying, like like moral or the comeuppance. Um, so I'm interesting, interested to see what they're doing because obviously there's going to be a lot of allegory and metaphor there always is with these things. And I definitely picked up a lot of, let me and I say this only, I've only read half of the book, but definitely get a, a bit of an it vibe off the, uh, the ice cream man. So. Yeah, yeah. So I am wondering if Certainly. that's going to manifest more one-to-one in later issues in terms of how uh, he or it uh, manifests, because there there are like some like things that I'm not going to go into detail about, obviously, but some story elements that complicate the basic structure in an interesting way, but in a very puzzling way, considering. There are no 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 other sort of um, there's no other things linking it. Instead, you you get aware you get some weird things happening between certain characters that make you start to question what the rules are with mm. all of this thing. So I'm interested mm. to see if that is paid off in next issue in the next issues or if that is hand waved as a this place is just weird man this place is just weird so like uh, I'm, I'm i'm definitely going to be reading issue two because i want i want to see how they go there's just something about the look and feel of this book where even if i have some shortcomings in terms of some of the storytelling um and it's kind of it's not derivative or anything but um it's not mega mega original but it it does feel like there's possibly a really solid uh solid run um coming so i i want I'd, i'm really excited to see what um what crazy shit that we uh that <laughs> that can be offered up to us by uh mm. Uh, Maxwell Prince and uh, Martin Morazzo. So um, yeah, the thing is, I have got a lot of questions that I can't really go into, so I'll probably talk to you guys about this off mic. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say the um, I do like how there are some really good uses of angle and perspective, um, and at times they really exaggerate and are hyperbolic um, in in relation to size and fear. I think that's really cool. Um, And there's this one, my favorite panel in this, I would just say, fuck you, Byron. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That bit did make me chuckle. Yeah, that's great. It was a really (laughs) good uh, left turn comedic beat. And yeah, the spiders are the freaking worst, man. Like (laughs) uh, I I don't need, I don't need this much spider in my comic. (laughs) Out <laughs> the size I was reading
1: it, I tell you what I don't need in my comics that Martin Morazzo puts a lot in filtrums, like ev, like everybody's filtrum, like the the groove under their nose. Everybody's filtrum <laughs> is really exaggerated, and then following this, everyone is like constantly sneering with their lips raised and their teeth bed. That's weird. Like everybody, every single yeah. character in this book. So I don't. Know.
2: I-, I noticed this on the c- on the cover, and I I'm in two minds about it because I don't know if it's like. I'm taking it on good faith that it's uh, like a, obviously his art style on this, but also a deliberate choice, freakiness. <laughs> but then there's also a thing where it's like that sort of makes everybody's mouths look the same.
0: Mm. I think that's the point, though. Yeah, because cause... everyone's got the same smile, everyone's looking at the ice cream in the same way. And it is suburbia you know another way to describe another thing to add to the kind of like the melting pot of vibe that I got from this actually is the music video for Black Hole Sun (laughs) I knew you were going to mention that yeah (laughs) the music video for for Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun Um, yeah I get
1: that with the exaggerated 90s um, goo uh,
2: effect right
0: yeah 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 Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it
2: what flavour ice cream would you get Something oh, yeah. with biscuit in it. Biscuit. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're I' are going to get eaten by all the spiders. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if I get a double scoop of some sort of like cookies and cream, I will gladly be. No, what am I saying? That
0: ain't right. <laughs> no, fuck it. Just yeah. don't have ice cream. <laughs> you got to be careful, man. I mean, like obviously, obviously, the flavor's going to decide my misery, isn't it? So you don't know that yet. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, it's a he hero.
2: He might be the hero. Everyone in town might be douchebags, and he Even might like, be the hero.
0: I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking too hard about what flavor I want now. Maybe that's maybe that's the whole point of it. Maybe maybe there's this this, this like this whole cosmic connection to do with the flavor of ice cream that you order and and the the, the turn that your life will take. And it's like <laughs> I don't know.
2: After 42, <laughs> it is the answer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Let's just let's just go with um, let's just go with Cherry Garcia, shall we?
2: So spider flavor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Leon?
2: Uh, I would go for a nice, inoffensive strawberry because that can't be translated to anything evil.
0: Well, I don't know, Leon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Every other flavor is too risky.
0: Ooh. You see, I like you're saying strawberry now, and and like. The, Don't try
2: really
0: and <laughs> The ice cream man's just kind of just lurched back into the cab and sort of like you can see his hand quivering as he's like reaching for the, the door handle to go back around the front to start the engine and just get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Some weirdo what is a strawberry. It's bounced. <laughs> this guy hates himself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my work here is done. <laughs>
0: But yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, this this book, I think, definitely vibed with all of us, and we will be looking forward to issue two. It's a nice, nice palate cleanser because after I finish reading under, I'm <laughs> so bitter about because it could have it could have been so good. Do you think the ice cream man does
1: sorbet? Oh, well, I don't know. Just a palate cleanse you
0: Or froyo. <laughs> oh, gross! Yeah, I'm now, I'm now, I'm now like. Sort of drawing charts about what each thing could mean, like what what would sorbet mean, what what kind of uh, like ast- like on the astral chart, on the you know on the on the uh, the map of constellations, where does sorbet go? Oh, I
1: guess we're gonna have to keep reading and find out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess uh, I guess that closes us out, doesn't it? I think we're done with uh, with this week's reads. I'm done with comics. Um... I don't want any more spiders in my life. <laughs> there was uh there was one book that i did read actually that um i i don't want to talk about it yet because i want to do it like proper justice basically but we've uh we have had issue one of uh exit stage left the snagglepuss chronicles um but i'm waiting until i get another one of those before i'll talk about that because i want to i want to do that book justice because i enjoyed it um and uh, I guess we go on to the poll list. So this is where we get to wax lyrical about what we're looking forward to from this week's new comic book day, which is when this podcast releases, which will be Wednesday the twenty fourth of January. And also, um, we take a little bit of a look into the crystal ball and uh, give you an idea of some of the things we might be looking forward to from next week, which will be Wednesday the thirty first of January. Um. So, Ray? Right, so the only things I've got
1: for January the 24th, or the only one thing I've got, is Sex Criminals 21, which is making a comeback after, I don't know, how long their hiatus has been. But I'll, I'll pick that up. I've thoroughly enjoyed that in the past. That's Image Comics' uh, Sex Criminals, written by uh, Matt Fraction and art by Chip Zdorsky. Um And then for the next week, so that's the 31st of Jan, uh, something that I was very excited about, that I spoke about in our 2017 retrospective, slash looking forward to in 2018 episode Hungry Ghost Number One which um, is written by Anthony Bourdain so that's something to keep an eye out for Um, and if you want to know what that's about go listen to our episode number 26 where I give a rundown of the the Japanese mythology behind these stories and also John Wick Number Two just because John Wick is cool
0: yes Uh, so for me um, this week on the 24th, you've got the third installment of Doomsday Clock, which has got a very nice Batman variant. Um, yeah, I mean, I've am been impressed with this so far, so I'm definitely looking forward to issue uh, three. We've got Abbott, which is one of the things from our list of things we were looking forward to, I believe. And um, this is a book by Saladin Ahmed, who is your man from uh, Black Bolt, I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and um, we've talked about why we're looking forward to this on a previous episode, episode 26 Um, and uh, this is a story about a I think she's a journalist and she's looking for the truth about what happened to her husband and uh, obviously it takes a supernatural turn Uh, occult dark forces and uh, she's uh, she's out for revenge um next one is uh, Transformers the Lost Light, which um this is like the best Transformers book. Like the best Transformers book. It has been so good. There's been like a, a three part story um that we've just had. Um which uh, it's been mind blowing. It's great. And I, I just want more. So this is this is uh IDW. Um, and it is—it's the best Transformers book they do at the moment. So yeah, forget Optimus Prime. This is better. Buy this. Um, there's also Legion number one this week. So Legion's back with uh, this is um, Marvel getting back on the X Men thing again because um, we've been getting like a lot of sort of like X Men stuff about, and now we've got uh, Legion number one coming. So Legion is back in his own sort of. Um, I think it's just a short one. It's only a five-part run. Uh, oh wow! The writer, yeah, the writer is uh, Peter Milligan, uh, artist Wilfredo Torres, and uh, Javier Rodriguez is your cover artist for this one. So um, I guess this is off the success of the Legion TV show that we had recently, and also Marvel's sort of X Men renaissance that seems to be happening at the moment. So yeah, other things on my list: uh, Thanos fifteen because it's Donny Kate and it's Thanos, and it's one of the best runs I've read. Um, and then uh, we're into the week after. So from the th- on the 31st of January, we've got um, a couple of DC books that I'm looking forward to, which is the next installment of Dark Knight's Metal, which is Dark Knight's Metal number five. And we've also got the Swamp Thing Winter Special. Um, looking forward to that because it's more Swamp Thing. and I like Swamp Thing, as I said in the previous episode. So yeah. Um, and that's just wrapped up for this one. So... I mean, anybody else got anything left to say?
2: Yeah, I do. Yep, go on, I've then. got something on my pull list, but it's not Ooh. a comic. But it is based off a Japanese comic. Ooh. And that's uh, Dragon Ball Fighters is out Friday uh, oh, yeah. the uh, 26th, isn't it? So um, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure me and Greg are going to run some sets
0: we're gonna run some sets on Dragon Ball Fighters, but I need to play some more Injustice with you as well. We
2: do, yes, definitely, we do.
0: So, so there's there's a note actually. If any of our listeners play Injustice or Dragon Ball Fighters, hit us up.
1: <laughs> Join them online, crush them because they're not that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hit us
2: up literally. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hit me up. Come and crush me in Injustice. No, but like honestly, like you know, good friendly gameplay, bit of fun fighting games for whatever. I'm not an overly competitive person. I enjoy playing fighting games just for for the crack base.
1: You so. both have Injustice Two on PC Steam. Uh, what will Steam you be games. buying Dragon Ball Fighters on? Oh, that'll be on Steam as well.
2: Uh, I'm buying it on Steam, but my brother will be buying it on PS4. So oh. I have two ways to play it. Online. Covering
0: the bases, awesome. <laughs> um, I'm 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 going to be a, a Steam only for that one. But yeah dragon ball fighters it looks insane i am literally on
1: only on episode 8 of dragon ball i am catching up because i have never watched anything dragon ball related in my life so i'm gonna avoid that game because i won't know what, any, what anything is
2: but that's all <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you'd be trumping out the bit for a beat-em-up wouldn't you yeah i
1: love beat-em-ups i'm so good at them <laughs> that would be my flavor of ice cream being just being forced to play beat-em-ups for the rest of my life a game a gameplay gameplay type that i that's, can't stand that,
0: that's more of a diablo house thing that's more of you going to diablo house saying i just want to win at street Fighter just once and then like you get put in your own room at diablo house where all you're allowed to do from then onwards is lose at street fire
1: that's that's like going into a normal house with any copy of street fire <laughs> close the episode uh,
0: greg well, the, different, the, the difference is you've got trash talk whispering in from all angles. There's nothing you can do about it. All you can hear is.
1: That would be like going into a house full of you guys and playing Street Fighter.
0: <laughs> what we're
2: saying is you're already in Diablet House.
1: Yeah. Ah! <laughs> I don't even own Street
0: Fighter, not in my house.
2: Check again. <laughs>
0: Every game box you open from now on has got a Street Fighter disc in.
1: Oh no, that's genuinely uh, terrifying. Don't say that. (laughs) Oh, you found it. You you
0: You found my horror. You look over at your DVD shelf. What? Street Fighter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Every book is like a a manual showing you all the moves and combos. Oh no, 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 no! no, no, no.
0: You open. You've got like this really nice hardback edition of something, and you open it up, and the page has been cut out. It's just a copy of Street Fighter in there. like sunk in where the pages have been cut like guys, when you hide like a gun inside a book guys
1: this this isn't fun anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: let's end it there i think i think we've we've pushed rahul far enough so let's just end it there um so yeah i mean that's been ace comicals episode 27 you can find us on facebook under ace comicals you can find us on twitter at ace comicals you can find us on wordpress which is acecomicals.wordpress.com uh, you can find us on the internet at www.acecomicals which is kind of the hub for everything we've got a link to everything on there uh, you can find us on Instagram under acecomicals where I will occasion- well more than occasionally post the stuff that I buy so comics graphic novels um, anything Ace Comicals related that I purchase will end up on Instagram and I might talk a little bit about it as well so yeah um you will also be able to find us. we're listenable in various ways you can find us on itunes you can find us if you have a particular listening service that you use to listen to podcasts i'm sure you'll be able to find us on it because i know for a fact we're on stitcher we're on um oh what what we on ray stitcher
1: pocket casts itunes tune in other such things i mean if you're listening to us right now you'll have found one of them right yeah
0: exactly so you already know (laughs) yeah um and uh yeah i mean you can find me on twitter under at batto so that's b-a-t-t-o-u um you can field questions to ace comicals at uh, ace at gmail.com and uh, field us a question we'll answer it um the wackier the better uh ray where can we find you
1: yeah on twitter at monkeh so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h
0: and leon where can we find you
2: and I'm on Twitter at Leon Evere L E O N E V E R E double
0: Yeah. Um, so that has been Ace Comicals episode twenty-seven. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Ace Comicals over and out.